The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 49. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Thank you, sir. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today, we're back to discussing Star Trek Voyager after quite a while. We're discussing the second story of the first season called Parallax. Joining me early today on the, days. Early, very early days. Joining me today on the panel, as you hear, is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, and uh, Father Corey Stika is uh, on assignment again. He's uh, not available today, so it's just going to be Jimmy and I talking about this. Poor Father uh, Corey couldn't watch this episode with us. <laughs> how fortunate he was <laughs> so like i said this is the second episode of the first season so very early days investigating an apparent distress call voyager becomes trapped inside the event horizon of a quantum singularity so let's let's dig right into this we start off with looking at the the situation that voyager is in i mean they're starting to deal with the whole premise of the series which is on the other side of the galaxy Half the crew's been killed. They've had to integrate this Maquis crew, and they're they're cut off from Starfleet and the resupply and all that sort of stuff. And so we get some of that, especially early on. We we get the conflict right off the bat. Yeah, and and this is this is these are good dramatic choices. I mean, this is what would happen. You know, as soon as you've both been thrown over here, as soon as you both had half your crews killed, and you've got to integrate to get back. There are going to be teething pains. And so it's entirely natural and appropriate for them to explore that. And in this episode, we learn that uh, Lieutenant Torres, who is not yet the chief engineer, has punched another guy who is Starfleet and who also is not the chief engineer because they don't have a chief engineer right now. And so things are extra chaotic in engineering as a result of that. Right. And and. I like the fact that it's not simply Starfleet is right, Maquis is wrong. Obviously, she's wrong for punching her. Torres is overreacted. Yes. But he was wrong to to question her as if she doesn't know what she's doing or as if she's somehow not a real engineer. You know, he's condescending to her. She's overly aggressive, just like early Bellana. Early Bellana is very angry at everything all the time. And and so is Chakotay, frankly. Chakotay is a lot rougher in the beginning. And she also, in fact, is actually the better engineer, as they establish. So he's like punching above his weight in engineering terms. Yes. <laughs> in physical terms, too. <laughs> yeah. I like also how when when word of this gets out and, you know, it's like Chakotay is like, I don't I do not need this headache. And immediately other Maquis are like encouraging him to mutiny. It's like, if you want to do anything, we're with you. Yeah, we're ready and to take the ship. <laughs> he, he's like, do not ever say that to me again. And so they really established Chakotay as the adult in the room who is trying sincerely to make this situation work. And uh, despite being 
getting it from multiple sides, including Cap- including Captain Janeway, who is in some scenes, she comes around, but early on, even though it's reasonable from her perspective, she is making his life more difficult, too. Right. And and he's wrong in some aspects, too. I mean, he's trying mm-hmm. trying to do things the mucky way, and he's still getting over the fact that he's not running things. Uh, and it's important to remember in this early stage is that even while some of the Maquis have Starfleet experience, a lot of them are just people who are ragtag people. Yeah, they picked up a gun and started a fight. They, they're, they're not, you know, they're not military at all. They didn't go through any training. So, you know, that it's, and it's sort of reminiscent of Deep Space Nine and the uh, Bajorans and Kira mm-hmm. Nuris. So, I mean, it's. It's sort of a little similar territory we're, we're treading in this case. Yeah, except Chakotay is not the emissary. <laughs> right, right. Or nor is he Kira Norris. So yeah. it, it was interesting to see. Belana Ses- Torres is kind of Kira Norris. She is. She is actually. That's true. Seska shows up, and as we'll find out later, Seska is a Cardassian spy and undercover. Shh. <laughs> so, spoilers. Spoilers, sweetie. <laughs> That's a Doctor Who reference, folks. That's not Jimmy getting fresh. Uh, no. So, so Seska, you know, so I, I kind of wondered if the writers knew Seska would be this Cardassian uh, from the beginning and tried to build her in like that as a, a, a I don't know, an element There's- of chaos. Yeah, there's probably a way to figure that out, but I don't know. And I don't know that she would be trying at this point to cause chaos because she's just gotten over here and she doesn't she hasn't like made connections with the bad hair people yet. And so so she's this is her only way back home. But she, I think she might prefer the Maquis to be running things. Than oh, Starfleet. sure. So I wonder yeah, if but, that's the element that's going but, on. But not a Cardassian agenda specifically. Yeah. Uh, another sort of preliminary thought, like so, we we see Bolana's quarters, and again, early days, they've they've just had this this move to the other quadrant, and so Bolana's in these quarters that are decorated, you know, plants and things like that. I'm thinking she must be staying in the quarters of an officer who died yeah. during this transfer. Is that mm-hmm. is that still their belongings in there? Like what and what happens to those belongings? I, I, I that's the sort of thing I think about, but. I'm I'm guessing the plants don't survive long. <laughs> not the no, Klingon green thumbs are uh, not a thing. Oh, I just I, I maybe they are, but I just don't think Belana Torres is especially concerned about plants and nurturing them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so we we get this. Uh, we we have a, a senior briefing of uh, you know, uh, the uh, uh, senior officer briefing where they're sort of going over all the the problems that they're having. You know the power problems they don't have a chief engineer yet they start talking about that uh, and then don't we have, have a doctor they don't have a doctor right then we but right at the beginning of it we have this awkward Neelix entrance Cass. yeah this very yeah. awkward moment we're like oh we're, you know we're sorry we're late no one told us about this the meeting and jayway's like um well you're she's like sort of gracious about it you're you're welcome, but this is really for senior officers. Yeah. Well, I'm the senior Talaxian, and you're a morale officer. And yeah, and he try, he's trying to weasel their way in there. And she finally, to let him save face, she says, you can stay this time. Right. Now, the fact is, is uh, later on, Neelix does end up in all these briefings because they realize his knowledge of this region of space is, is mm-hmm. invaluable. And in fact, right. we see it here where Kess is actually the one who suggests the hydroponics bay to help them with their food problems. I'm, I'm not sure why mm-hmm. it took Kess to figure this out, like a bunch of Starfleet officers. And yeah. then Neelix volunteers to cook. It's like, 
Okay, so we're laying down one of his principal roles in the rest of the series. Right, right. The, the, this is where all the uncomfortable Neelix cooking stuff starts. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, you have someone who doesn't know flavors and tastes of the of the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, it's just, it just yeah. doesn't make sense to me, but okay. Nope. Also, Paris gets his assignment as field medic. Right, because he took a biology course in... Uh, yeah. And the and the doctor at this point cannot leave sick bay. Well, and this is the, this is another problem. This, like no one in Starfleet, you know, on the ship has field medic training. I know there is such a thing as cross training, guys. Yeah, did your whole medical department get wiped out. Well, and did the Maquis not have a medic, or did they, or did they get killed too? Like it just it's it's, it's a stretch. Yeah. But we also, you know, we, we get told that the that the the holographic doctor can't leave the sick bay at this point. Um, yeah. they, they fix that dramatic problem later. But yeah, the key thing, though, is not who's going to be the gardener and the cook and the field medic. It's who's going to be the chief engineer. So that's our central dramatic question for the crew this season. And Chakotay obviously wants it to be Torres. Janeway does not initially want it to be Torres, and so Chakotay has to convince her to give Ch Torres a chance. Torres initially is blowing that chance, but eventually Janeway comes around. Yeah, uh, Janeway is less gracious uh, with, with the suggestion. She's almost scoffs at, at that initially. So it's you could see her trying to deal with her own biases uh, in this. Uh, so they, they the, and the the situation that helps. Balana shine as chief engineer material is this because coincidentally Janeway and Torres are having the same insights at the same moment. Squee! <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, but uh, they they run into and here it is, folks. The first one, some kind of spatial distortion. Oh, just... <laughs> set some kind of a precedent, dude. Set set your some kind of uh, 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 tickers, folks. That's the first one. Um, yes, it's not just a spatial distortion. <laughs> yeah, we we should put that in the show notes. The some kind of video because this is a <laughs> this is a recurring writing tick on Voyager specifically. Nothing is ever alien telepathy. It's some kind of alien telepathy. And nothing is ever some kind of it, nothing is ever just a communication from a starship. It's some kind of communication from a starship. It's the writers on Voyager just had this tick in, in their writing where they yeah. they just could they they could not let, let that be. They had to use that phrase over and over. So there's one video. Then we'll also have to at some point uh, play the uh, include the video of the number of shuttles and torpedoes. Yeah, that they they rack up. What I've meant to do for some time, and I haven't gotten around to it, but I want to do a spreadsheet. I want to rewatch all of Voyager and do a spreadsheet of all of the upgrades that Voyager gets, because they're always, oh, in this episode, we've got to solve the plot by improving shield efficiency by 50%. Right. And then in another episode, oh, we've got to improve shield efficiency by 83%. And it's like, by the time the Voyager gets back to the Alpha Quadrant, it is the most massively over-muscled starship ever if you take all of those <laughs> upgrades into account that's true that's true they 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 should be able to blast the borg uh into into non-existence uh so they they've run into some kind of spatial distortion which turns out space to be space turbulence yeah a uh a what's what it say a Type gravimetric quantum well oh. gravimetric gravimetric flux density which i'm not mm -hmm. sure anybody knows what that is okay is over two thousand percent that 
2000. That must be a big deal. (laughs) We have no idea why. 20 times the normal gravimetric flux density in this area. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so therefore it must be a type four quantum singularity. Yeah. Is there such a thing (sighs) as a quantum singularity or is this just a black hole? It's a well, okay. So a singularity is what's at the core of a black hole. A singularity is a point of infinite density or theoretically infinite density, and they can occur on the quantum level. I mean, there are theoretically such things as quantum black holes. Type four, that's something they've made up as far as I know, but it's not unreasonable. What's unreasonable is everything else they say about this thing. <laughs> well, well, we get this moment where um, Kess gets to play the unknowing audience and asks, oh, yeah. Event Horizon? And Neelix, the oh. wise, explains to her in detail what, an, what a singularity is. Yeah, so, okay. Well, actually, before we get there, they, they in this, they see another ship that's really blurry, and they try communicating with it. And at this moment, and I forget exactly how many minutes we are into this episode, but it's like, I don't know, five or something. At this moment, I'm going, okay, they're talking to themselves. That other ship is them. Well, it's clearly Janeway's voice uh, in the garbled transmission. Yeah, but even without that, I the name of this episode is Parallax. <laughs> right. and, and if you know what the word Parallax means, okay, we're going to see something from two different perspectives. Because if it, that's like, this is, an for example, how we work out the distances to nearby stars. You like you look at a star that's nearby and then you wait six months. So the Earth is halfway across its orbit and you look at the same star and see what its relative position is in the sky to other stars. That's a parallax view of the star. So you're seeing one thing from two perspectives. And so I know this episode said it said right after the opening credits, the title of this episode is Parallax. So we're going to be seeing one thing from two perspectives. Here's this mysterious ship. And it's okay. That's going to be it's going to be the Voyager. I know this right from the beginning. There is no suspense in that. Then then Janeway says they the other ship may be trapped in the event horizon and we have to get it out of the event horizon. Okay, if it's trapped in the event horizon, you can't get it out. (laughs) What the event horizon is. Well, okay. then Neelix exposits to Cass and and says, A singularity is a collapsed star. No, a singularity is a point of infinite density. It is not uh, necessarily produced by a collapsed star. If it were, I mean, are there are there stars that are that are on the quantum scale that could collapse and become a quantum singularity? That doesn't make any sense. Quantum this quantum scale is extremely tiny. It's like subatomic particles. So these would be micro black holes. If they were 20,000 kilometers from a regular sized black hole, a, a collapsed star, they would yeah. already be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And so so this so number one, he's wrong. A singularity is not just a collapsed star. And then he says an event horizon is a powerful energy field surrounding a singularity. No, no. <laughs> no. Gravity is a powerful force surrounding a point of infinite density. And there is a region Right. Where the gravity becomes so strong that nothing, not even light can escape. And the boundary of that region is what the event horizon is. So if something has become trapped in the singularity, that means it's so close 
that nothing, not even light, including the image of it you're looking at. Or the radio signal that they send out. <laughs> or the radio signal it's sending out can reach you. So this is just this And you're is certainly just not going to pull them out. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what this phenomenon they're, they're encountering in space is, but it is not a singularity. <laughs> it is it, the, it, yeah. it, I, they've labeled this. If you want to have this phenomenon on screen, fine, but make up your own name for it. Do not use real world jargon and misexplain it. Right. Especially they, they get better at that later. I mean, in other episodes, they, they don't do it as badly as this, but this is pretty bad. They this is extremely bad. This is and they have no excuse for this because in the in the new Star Trek era, this is their eighth year of production. They've all done all seven years of Next Generation and had time to hire a research firm like DeForest Research that did it for the original series to steer them away from scientific errors like this. So they have they've had eight years to get this right. And this is written by the showrunner, Brandon Braga. I mean, this is the guy in charge. Yeah. You should know better. So, yeah, you should know better Then they say they're going to use a, a subspace tractor beam to cut through the event horizon. And this is going to keep coming back to us as if the event horizon is a barrier of some kind. When an event horizon is not a barrier, it's just it's the just location. the point. At, yeah, it's yeah. just a point at which the gravity gets too strong to escape. And so actually, in the actual thought experiments that people have done about what it would be like to approach a black hole, for example, read Kip Thorne's book, The Black Hole War, if you want an explanation of this. As you descend towards a black hole, you would not experience anything unusual at the event horizon. There's no barrier there. You would just keep falling through and eventually you'd be ripped apart by the gravity. But you would not experience any. There wouldn't be a flash of light or a barrier or anything like that at the event horizon. It, you're just getting deeper into the gravity well. So. Chakotay jumps the gun and calls on Torres to fix it. And Janeway gets mad and reassigns it to Carrie. And then she calls Chakotay on the on the carpet for going to, to Bolana first. And in and, and this scene where there's this conflict in her ready room, they're both right. Again, they're both mm -hmm. right. She's and both right. Wrong. Right. And both wrong. She's right that he has to stop thinking of the Maquis as his crew versus her crew. But he's right that she has to be willing to give the Maquis a chance and think of them as more than former Maquis. Yeah. And, and and not and one of the ways that comes out is who has seniority. Because if it's flight, if it's a time logged in Starfleet, then on active duty currently, then none of the Maquis are ever going to advance over anybody in Starfleet, no matter what their skills are. So he's he's dead right. That has she has to change that point of view because some of the Maquis have skills that are greater than people who are in Starfleet that survived. Also um, I like his line where he points out, you've made me number two on this ship, and I have no intention of being your token Maquis officer. Right. That was a that was a oh snap moment yeah. <laughs> from him. Then we have the doctor's story in this episode, which, uh, again, is a little bit infuriating because. So, yeah. So Kes shows up. She needs some soil samples from the doctor who just happens to have a shelf full of them for some reason. In order For the to... hydroponic bay. Right. And he's mad because he's now going to have to take care of the mundanity of medicine, the people's, you know, colds and Hang sniffles. Nails yeah. And, yeah. Which, OK, I mean, you're in a hologram. What do you care? Like you're you're deactivated otherwise. But he starts malfunctioning. And this is another thing that drives me crazy. They are th 75,000 light years from the closest human doctor, Starfleet doctor. 
and they're relying on this one and it's malfunctioning and nobody seems to care that it's broken. Like, oh, we've we'll got get a to mysterious ship to communicate with. What are you? Yeah. I priorities. Mean, yeah, you, can you just send one, you know, a couple engineers or one engineer down there just to take care of this yeah. very important uh, subsystem? Yeah. What, what if people on that other ship are injured and might need a doctor and yours is malfunctioning? <laughs> right. So uh, we have the. So then and we have. The, and the, the way he's malfunctioning is he's getting shorter. His holographic emitters are making him smaller yeah. to great comic effect. Uh, yeah. That, that's the idea. We also get some interesting interpersonal stuff between the doctor and Cass, where she's like the first person to treat him as something other than just a tool. And and that's actually kind of nice. And she's like, what's your name? Uh, why would I have a name? And and so we have and he never does get a name. Initially, they plan to eventually give him one. They were going to like have him try out names. Eventually, they realize that you can have a 50 year plus science fiction series with someone called just the doctor and it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so they never gave him a name, but they in start the ultimately discontinued quest for a name in this episode. Which is fine because it's every time they they came up with like some name for him, it just was either some famous person already, which would be awkward to now have him have that name, you know, Doctor Schweitzer. Yeah, that would just be weird and awkward for from there ever after. Uh, I mean, his doctor became his name, and that's mm -hmm. that's fine. Uh, so that was the, so I'm glad they they did not ultimately do that. Uh, but we but we have this interesting. This attitude among the Starfleet officers of treating the doctor like a piece of equipment, um, which is somewhat disturbing because whether or not he's an AI or some type of you know equipment, he still looks like a person and talks like a person and behaves like a person. And ultimately, this is kind of the problem with a lot of this holographic entertainment, isn't it? Is you start treating something that looks like and talks like a person as if it were not important or not impersonally i don't know i kind of i kind of want to say it's a sign of health to say this thing is not a person and i'm not treating it like one it has it has contemporary in, uh relevance in, in a way mm -hmm. because some people have talked about with well, the advent of things like echoes and google homes and siri how yeah. we address them so if you if you address like your echo and you say thank you at the end mm -hmm. it will actually respond and say you're welcome and that's that's fine if you want to do that. But it becomes unhealthy when you start using it as a surrogate for a person. Like if you've ever seen Mr. Robot, there's the FBI agent, Dominique, whatever her name is, who who is lonely and lives at home and is talking to her to her echo as like, do you care about me? And, you know, stuff like that. It's like, OK, no, 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 no. This is unhealthy. Yeah. You you are treating a device as if it's a surrogate for a person in ways that it's not. If you want it to see you want to treat it as a surrogate for a person for something it can do, like remember to wake you up in time for work. Sure. But as, as a source of emotional fulfillment and things like that, it's like, no, you need this is unhealthy. Go find a human being. Uh, some some people have questioned like children raised to with these devices, whether the, having them not use the, you know, get used to using polite forms when speaking to others, mm -hmm. whether that is bad for them uh, ultimately in dealing with real people, whether it, whether it could train them to out of good, good manners. 
Mm-hmm. It's a thought. I, I, I think the I mean, I, this is a complex issue and we're still working it out as a society. But I think the ultimate end goal should be we treat humans like humans and machines like machines and we don't confuse them. We learn two modes of behavior, just just like we in interacting with animals. We should treat humans as humans and animals as animals. Frankly, animals deserve more respect because they at least they can feel things than machines do. Right. Although we, I would want. I don't have pets, but if we had a dog or a cat, I would want my kids to respect it and take care of it and be yeah. nice to it and that sort of thing. In, and that's an outgrowth of human nature. But you don't want the kids thinking that the pet is just as important as a human or can fulfill ultimately human needs that pets are not capable of fulfilling. And that's that's sort of where I think they're failing at this point. The Starfleet crew is they're not treating the doctor with even forms of respect or it it, it comes across as cold uh, now the show will eventually go there it will they will start to treat yeah. the doctor like a person and that's that's an, another interesting philosophical too much one. like a person You're photons right. be free <laughs> right or or uh or data for that matter uh, in, mm-hmm. in next gen so they they have an ill-fated attempt to you know pull the other ship out of the singularity at first of course and so they decide to uh to, to go for help and meanwhile janeway interviews balana again like we mentioned before that does not go well Oh, also, the crew is experiencing physical symptoms related to the fact they're getting near the singularity. So it's more reason to get that doctor fixed, you might think, but maybe not necessarily on this ship. Yeah, right. We don't really care about the crew. Maybe they're all mucky. Janeway isn't sure of uh, Bellana's leadership abilities, et cetera, et cetera. Meanwhile, we get this 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 whole thing of the Voyagers traveling away from the singularity, but keeps ending up back at it. They're going in circles. And- and they're really slow on the uptake about bent space time. It's like, guys, come on. Einstein was so four centuries ago. You should have this down by now. Well, I mean, if they're, they've spent all their time traveling through space at warp speed, warp speed, warp yeah. space. Your drive is warping space. <laughs> so maybe it has something to do with this. Right. Gosh. So, yes, it, it is frustrating when they are they're very slow in the uptake. And and then they botch what the obvious thing to do is, which is, OK, that ship is us and we're just in two places at once because of bent space time. No, instead, they tell us the other ship is a time delayed reflection off the event horizon, as if the event horizon was a barrier you could reflect things off of. Or have to fly, like create a hole in to fly through. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we haven't even got to that point yet. Believe me, I was going to hop on that. Yeah, yeah, Paris is, but I like Paris is, it's the Voyager. It's us. No <laughs> kidding. I figured that out about 25 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, so they're, they're seeing a, ref- she says, Blana says, they're seeing a reflection of themselves because they're the, they're the ones inside the singularity. If inside you're inside, it? you would have been crushed into a point if you were inside the singularity. Because it's a singularity. Yeah. A, a single point in space. You might be inside the event horizon, in which case, sorry for you, but you're not inside the singularity unless you've been crushed to a point. Now, uh, Tom Paris asked the good question here, which someone should have asked. Uh, someone must have asked uh, Brandon Braga when he wrote this and threw this line in there to explain it, because th- this his answer is nonsensical. Tom asks the obvious question about how they received the hail from the vo- from the reflection Voyager before they even ended up in the singularity. The hail that 
brought them that they thought was a distress signal. And Janeway mm-hmm. says, oh, in temporal mechanics, an effect could precede the cause. What? <laughs> what? <sighs> I don't well, that doesn't make any sense. I, I'm, I'm in a series where they've established time travel is real. I may give them that one. But well, but but in but this I circumstance, can't... it doesn't make any sense of the singularity. Y- yeah, well, it doesn't. But, <laughs> right. you know, taking the sentence in isolation and in a universe with time travel, I could give it that. But what I cannot give them is let's find a crack in the event horizon. It is not a barrier. It is just where the gravity gets too strong to escape. You can there are no cracks in event horizons that you can exploit. And this becomes another trope that I observed even when the series was first on the air. There are an abnormal number of episodes, especially in the first season of Voyager, where the plot resolution involves Voyager breaking through some kind of barrier. Some kind of. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is the first this is the first one of those. It breaks the solution to this episode is we've got to break through this barrier, which is the event horizon using warp particles. And what are what yeah. particles like they've like that's never I don't ever remember that being established in, well, in, in the series. I don't mind that. That's if in fact, if my whole beef is, look, if you can make the dramatic effect, whatever you want, just don't misuse real world terms for it. Make up your own terms. So if you want to say warp particles are involved in warping space as part of your warp drive, fine. But because you're you've made up a term, it's not real world. I can't say you're you're abusing a word. But this, there are two voyagers because one is a reflection off the event horizon that has cracks in it that we can fly through. Right. Is nonsense. Well, they they create the situation in which they have to take a shuttle and that only Janeway yeah. and Bellana can go, which is the bonding moment, of course, uh, where yeah. they will you know. But th- so the comms, the shuttle's comm system is down. Of course. And they're seeing double voyagers like flying next to each other, which doesn't make any sense. No. And so they and like, we only have one chance to pick the right Voyager to land on. I'm not sure why, but so try one. <laughs> and if it disappears, yeah. then it's the wrong one. Like just fly out one. And if you go if it if you don't land on it, then you're not it. So keep flying till you get to the other one. Or fly the shuttle through the crack. Mm-hmm. And then wait yep. for Voyager on the other side. Yeah, like, like I, I can give you like some of this stuff, but when you, you ignore obvious logical solutions in order to create fake drama, that's mm-hmm. my problem. That's bad writing, and that's this. That's what it is here. Yep. So Voyager, because the the crack in the in the in the event horizon is closing for some reason, Voyager has to have added extra fake drama and punch through. The event horizon. But why didn't they just do that in the first place? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because presumably that's how they got in was by punching through the event horizon and making the crack. Right. Like, so- I don't know. They just said we've been in it since the first shock. Maybe that was them punching through. All of this drama about having to wedge open the crack is was meaningless in the end. They didn't need didn't have to worry about it. They should just flown through the crack and punch through. Anyway, so after all that, uh, we we have, of course, uh, Bellana is now the chief engineer. Um, she goes down and sets things right. And Lieutenant Carey, her competitor, shows what a big man he is by accepting the situation with grace and yes. being willing to support her. I got to give I got to give 
give the give the character credit. I mean, he not only does he he does not even grudgingly. He says, "I'm a professional. You have my full support. I will do what it takes." And I'm not quite sure whether Bellana would have been the same way had it been you no. know, the other foot. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe Carrie is the better officer after all. We also have a weird moment where where Chakotay is talking to Janeway in private, and it's like, "So if this had gone the other way, would you have been my number one?" And <laughs> yeah. she's like, "I don't have to say. I, I'm captain." Which which is basically uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the doctor. So even though Lieutenant Carey is a big man, the doctor is not. He's now like 18 inches tall. Wah, wah, wah. There's our out. A very funny uh, visual of a uh, very bad special effect of the doctor squashed. It, it's not It's not a good ending. It's sort of a silly ending. But uh, yep. do you have any other notes that I missed? Uh, anything we need to nope. trash? That's, in that's, that's all I wanted to say about this episode other than good riddance. <laughs> We've talked about it. We don't have to talk about it ever again. Uh, this is now the record on it. So uh, we probably they will, be, will, though. I mean, yeah. this will be a future illustration of just how badly things can go. Right, right. It's probably not the worst Voyager episode, but it is probably down there. And there are better there are better Voyager episodes, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Much better Voyager episodes. There are also much more painful episodes of Star Trek to watch. Enterprise is a night in sickbay is horrendous. But this is, I wouldn't say this is the most painful to watch, but it is one of the stupidest. And it it's a, it's an unnecessary, it's an unforced fault because they could have fixed 90% of the problems with this episode. Well, on a lot of, they could have fixed a lot of the problems with this episode with just simple dialogue changes. Just, just call it something other than an event horizon and a singularity. And a lot of the incredulous factor from anybody who knows anything about science will vanish. Well, and part of the problem is, is that this is not an original story. I mean, we've seen this very kind of situation time and again in Next Gen and DS, I think in DS9. I think we saw it several times in, mm -hmm. in Next Gen. Where oh, the ship we've just got stuck in a cosmic string and right. we've just got stuck in these tiny two dimensional creatures. And right. We're stuck like the ship gets stuck in a weird place that they have to somehow find their way out of or they will be trapped forever. I mean, that's yeah. a we're 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 in an asteroid field or and I need to need to pilot out of here somehow. And here's this big space baby whale sucking our energy and all kinds of stuff. It's a well they go back to time and yeah. time again. And oh. Even even back in the original series, there's a giant cornucopia that's eating planets and trying to eat us. Or there's a giant space amoeba trying to eat us. And yeah, right. The the ship is disabled in some way and they have to find their way out of it. And 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 fine. I'm not saying that we should never do that. And there are some good episodes that dealt yeah. with it. The yeah. drama. It's just if you're going to do it, you got to you got to go back to this. Well, you got to you got to do it well. Do gotta, it right. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Got to do it right. The, the do. The the doomsday machine and the immunity syndrome are good episodes, but yes. this wasn't one of them. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so before we close up, folks, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek. And uh, today we're thanking by name Laurent S, Dan F, and Cameron C. It's through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give that it makes it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at SQPN. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Star Trek Voyager's episode Parallax? <laughs> did you like it as, well, as much as we did? 
<laughs> or, or maybe you did like it more and you have you have a good defense. We want to hear it. We'd Tell love us. to hear that. Yes. Yeah. So let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash trek or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Starquest Media, and leave us some feedback or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. I'll put a link to the video of the some kind of dialogue uh, every time it comes yeah, up. Yeah, uh, that'll uh, be some kind of awesome. <laughs> that'll be on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when I, I believe we'll be discussing the original series episode, Charlie X. I think that, that's up on our on our uh, board next. Uh, if not, well, it'll be something it will good. We'll make it so. Yes. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Don Patanelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest.